Ephesians chapter 16. Last week we started in looking at this list of names. The first one we saw there, Phoebe, was again the dear sister. She was a deaconess in the church, very possibly. She's the one who brought the letter uh, of Paul to the Romans, and he told them to assist her, to help her, pragma, to practically help her in whatever way that she needed, uh, whether it was a place to stay or um, whether it was um, food to eat or to send her on her way. But she was a gal who was over much in the church. She was from Shintri, which is right next to Corinth, so it's very possible that's where the church was. It was right outside the city of Corinth. Um, and that's where the church met. And so she was from that area anyway. And so she was a gal who was responsible. She was a gal who had been over and in charge of much in the church. And Paul even says myself. So she evidently uh, instructed Paul in some ways of how to organize things and keep things going in the church. And so he says, man, I've learned to listen to this gal. Because she's great, valuable, greatly valuable uh, as she uses her gifts. Let her use them and assist her in them. And then in verse 3, we saw Priscilla and Aquila. And this is a companions of Paul that he seemed to have forever, never seemed to have dissension or any problems with them. They were also fellow tent makers. And uh, they were people that, that did travel. Uh, we see them in a few different locations. And uh, here, right now, they're in Rome. Later on, they'd end up in Ephesus and helping uh, Timothy pastored that extremely large church there in Ephesus as well. And these people risked their own lives to help Paul on more than one occasion, whether that was hiding him from those who were trying to kill him or whether that was letting him know what was going on so he could flee town. We don't know. But they definitely put their life on the line to protect Paul and his ministry. And then tonight, and they also had a, a church in their house. So we talked about that, how they had a home fellowship. And uh, they just ministered to those in the house. And Sunday morning we looked at that in Luke 5, how Jesus was in the house, even though there was multitudes of people, and we saw the guy going roof to roof, and they lowered their buddy through the roof. Jesus loved to just have a home fellowship, have a time to minister in the house until he couldn't even not only get in the house, but he couldn't even get in a city. So many people were coming to his home Bible study. And uh, <laughs> But here tonight we see another guy, Epanetus, and uh, he was the first fruits of Paul, the very first guy who came to Christ in Paul's ministry uh, in the particular area of Achaia, and then he moved from there uh, to Rome. And what a sweet thing to be able to know people that you've led to the Lord, to be able to have a name of people that you have discipled in Christ and are walking in the Lord. I Looking across the room here tonight, there's some of you that I have one-on-one -on -one led you to the Lord, personally led you to the Lord, and uh, have come to Christ in various places. And it's a joy. It's a joy. I, I remember right after I started the church down here, I was just uh, in the, had a, we had an office down over here in Benita Office Central, and, and uh, one day I just said to the guys, uh, who were with me, I said, let's just go knock on some doors and tell people about Jesus, and let's go. And we just went out, and the first door we knocked on was Sheila Green, and she came to Christ, and uh, she's still here in the church. Gosh, how many years later? I don't know now. It revealed both our ages, if I say, but years. 
and, uh, and Bob now has married her, so he owes me. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, but it's fun to be able to have names and to be able to say, yes, this person came to Christ and discipled them in Christ. And then we see tonight in verse 6, and also greet Mary, who labored much. The word copio uh, is the word here, and uh, it literally means to work unto exhaustion, to be weary and exhausted. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, it's the same word used there. They fished all night. They toiled is the word there. And it's interesting if you remember Mary and Martha and how Mary wasn't laboring and Martha was laboring, toiling, doing all the work in Luke chapter 10. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And there is, Martha says, Jesus, don't you care? Tell Mary to get up and help me. If you really cared, you would have her and her struggling with me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, one thing is needful. One thing. And Mary has chosen that good part. We all need to, number one, be those Marys, stubbornly sitting at Jesus' feet. But there's a lot of commotion because there's a lot to do. So what? I'm going to stay here at Jesus' feet. But there's so much to get done. So what? I'm going to stay here at Jesus' feet. And to be at that place, to be in the Word, to be in, you know, there's always a million things to do. Always dozens of things to get done. It's endless. The list is endless. But we need to stay stubbornly at Jesus' feet. And others will come distracting you, saying, but, but, Jesus, tell this person to be doing this and tell that person to be doing that. And, and Mary already knows her priorities. She's got them straight. I'm not going to change them. But now we look later, and after sitting at Jesus' feet, what does she do? She's able to work circles around Martha in typology here, in analogy. You know, once we have been filled up, overflowing with the power and the grace and the goodness of God, then, you see, then we can work, and then we can labor. Paul says, I labor more than all, but yet not me. It's the grace of God. And so it's that first important thing to get filled up with God, then to copio, to work to exhaustion. Now, people from time to time will say, you know, Man, I've got so much going. I need to quit going to home fellowship and quit teaching Sunday school and quit ushering and, and I, I really need to stop because these things are just wiping me out. Now, it's interesting because often when they quit doing all of those things, they're just as busy, just as tired. They quit teaching Sunday school, but their neighbor asked them to go bowling. Now they join the bowling team, you know. There's always one thing. It's, it's not a matter of stopping, especially the things of the Lord. It's getting that time with Jesus. Why are you so fatigued? Why are you so exhausted? Why are you so overwhelmed? It's not the things you're doing for Christ. It's the things you're not doing with Christ. Because when we're not spending that time with Christ, when we're not in the Word, when we're not in prayer, when we're not in fellowship... What happens? We start making all kinds of dumb choices. We start saying things we shouldn't have said. Now we got this person upset with us. And, and so there's the tension of this. And now we said this thing at work. And boy, I've got to work that out when I get back to work tomorrow. And, and so I've got this person upset. I've got that situation I deal with. And I, I just 
said, man, I've got to have a new stereo. It's the Lord. Put it on the charge card. Now I've got that thing to pay off and I can't afford it. And, I got, and it's, it's, it's two months worth of bad choices that are sort of piling up on you. That's overwhelming you. It's not, I'm too busy doing all these things for the Lord. And, and again, I'm not saying there's not a season in life where we can do more in other seasons we do less. That's definitely a possibility. But I have discovered that people are exhausted not because they're serving the Lord so much. Typically, could be. But typically, that's not the issue. The issue is they're not being a Mary at Jesus' feet. And so the first thing, if you're feeling fatigued here tonight, if you're feeling overwhelmed here tonight, if you're feeling exhausted here tonight, if you're feeling like, oh man, I've got so much going. Maybe I shouldn't go to home fellowship this Friday because I'm just sort of overwhelmed with life. Let's step up. Before you start scratching out these things, add in spending time with the Lord. Are you in the word as you need to be? Are you seeking the Lord each day? Or have you been saying, yeah, yep, I'm going to, tomorrow, man, tomorrow, I'm gonna, and you've been saying that for two months now, I'm going to get in the word, and you have done it a couple times, but for the most part, you, you don't have a set place you're reading in the scriptures. You're not soaking in the word. You're not meditating the word. You used to take your little New Testament with you to work, and Satan had some demons steal it, and you haven't got a new one, and, and, uh, and you're just not there where you once were in the Word. You see what I'm saying? That's where you need to be. That's really the answer. Because then you can labor more than all. But not you. It's the grace of God. And so we see in Mary, this gal who could toil and toil for the kingdom of God. And again, an outstanding story that you can't get past is that incredible story over in Luke chapter 10, where Martha wouldn't labor because she was stubbornly staying at Jesus' feet. And he says, that's the one thing that's needful. You can't get around it. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's needful. You can't get around that. And then we see in verse 7, greet Andronicus and Hunia, my kinsmen, or some translations are countrymen. The, the better translation is kinsmen. Uh, in a general sense, it can mean countrymen, but typically it means cousin, a countryman, a relative of some type, and so typically a cousin. And so these are a couple of Paul's cousins, and uh, they also, he's letting the church Rome know that they're a couple of uh, jailbirds like himself, a couple of ex-cons. Uh, they were fellow prisoners. So in some of Paul's times being in prison, you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 11, just all kinds of times he was arrested and beaten with whips and rods and arrested and put in prison time and time again. And one of the times his cousins were hanging out with him and they got put in prison as well. And, he, and so no doubt it's a, a giggle thing on the other end in Rome going, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Last time I'll hang out with Paul, hang out with that guy, you get put in prison. And he says, who are note among the apostles. Now, this is an interesting little phrase. Because it can actually be translated one of two ways. Andronicus and Hunia, a husband and wife, no doubt. And it says, who are either note, noted apostles or noted among the apostles. It can be translated either way. So one way is that these guys could be apostles. 
people that had been sent out by the Lord. The word apostle, what happens in, in translating of, of scriptures when you're going from one language to another, a lot of times you don't have a word in that particular language. So what you do instead of translating, you, you do what's called transliteration. And that's where you just take the letter to letter. And the word apostle means sent one, one who's commissioned to go out. Literally, that's, that's what it means. Now, Jesus had his 12 apostles, those whom he laid hands on and they went out in two. But as you read in the scriptures, there's a lot of other people who are eventually called apostles. And so, uh, not that they were one of the 12, but they were definitely sent out. You can see there in Acts 13, where Barnabas and Paul, they weren't one of Jesus' 12, but yet they are called, first they're called teachers at the first part of uh, Acts 13, but then the time you get to the middle, they're called apostles. The apostles, Paul and Barnabas, because they were sent out. Now, if you look at church history, people have gotten weird with that. And there's, there's cults today, and their leaders, they call them apostles. And so, apostle so-and-so. And so, what do they infer with that? Here's what they infer with that. They infer that their authority is equals to the Bible's. So therefore, as an apostle, I'm saying unto you, but, but the Bible says, well, I'm giving you some new scriptures. Write them down, you know. It's that attitude. So what happened is they said, nah, we're not going to use that word anymore. We're going to change to missionaries. So when people are sent out now, we call them missionaries. And it's not really a biblical word. It's not really um, the best definition, to be honest with you, of sending somebody out. But we use that word because we don't want to use the word apostles because when you do, people get weird. And so we've just sort of got away from that word. However, if you look, I've seen, you know, in church history, but even now, where you see certain men that have been sent out and they do really have that apostolic gift. They are a pastor of pastors. And again, I... I I am reluctant to use that word unless people get strange. But for instance, you see um, Chuck Smith, as, as he has started a church, and now he's sort of like an apostle of the Calvary chapels. There's a movement that took place, and, a, and just literally thousands of people look to him for his leadership and his guidance and, and his um, insights into the ministry. So in a, in a sense, you could say he's an apostle, but again, I wouldn't, and, and Chuck would probably uh, scream at me for saying that. Um, so I, I'm in no way going to say, hey, you know, this is, Chuck is our apostle. That's, uh, that's really not probably accurate, but yet that's the way I see it. Greg O'Pean, who used to be the youth pastor here, who now is over in Hungary, over there now, he just went over there to pastor a little church and, and buy it. But now what's happened is there's literally, I mean, it's, I don't know what the last count is, but over a dozen churches that have started. And all of these guys in Hungary look to him as their pastor. And now what's happening is guys from Romania and Czechoslovakia and other of the countries are all looking to him for their leadership. And so now in Budapest, he has conferences where people from all over Eastern Europe come to uh, Greg to, to hear his insights and to, and to look to him as a pastor. So in a sense, God's sort of raising him up as a pastor of pastors or in a, that role of an apostle. 
And so they're people that, that God has sent out, and then they seem to have a uniqueness about them, a power in the Spirit about them, uh, a real insight to hearing God and His direction. And so what happens is they seem to be looked to uh, in that role. And so it's possible that his cousins, Andronicus and Unia, are two people that are like that, that are people that, that just seem to have an apostolic presence about them. Or, on the other hand, it could be that they've, they're well known to the apostles, they're noted, in other words, the apostles, all the people know Andronicus and Unia, and because he adds in verse 7, who also were in Christ before me. Now, Paul was saved relatively soon in the Christian movement. But yet if they were saved, I mean it's possible that these guys were saved on the day of Pentecost or something. And, and he's saying that they were one of the very first Christians and they were very well used in the church and all the apostles, all the 11 apostles minus Judas, um, know about them and they know them. They've been an inspiration and a blessing and a strength to all the apostles, and, and they know them. Either one, it's, I think it's quite interesting when you take a look at that. Paul, by the way, is going to mention a number of his relatives here. Uh, in verse 11, uh, we're going to see Herodian, and then in verse 21, when we get there, we're going to see Lucas, Jason, and Sospater. Uh, so Paul mentions uh, six different cousins in this chapter, relatives of whatever degree. And interesting, church history seems to make note that um, Andronius and Hunius went on to be the bishop in Pannonia. And others say that they went on to be um, bishops and leaders in the church in Spain. So history seems to bear it out that Andronicus and Hunia became leaders of large sections like I'm talking. So that's why a lot of scholars seem to lean towards the fact that Paul is saying here they're apostles rather than they're noted among the apostles. So either one, you can't say dogmatically one way or the other, although people do, uh, but they really can't. It's not there clear in the language. In verse 8, it says, Greet Amblias, my beloved in the Lord. Now, Amblias or Amblias uh, actually is short. It's shortened form of Amblietas, A-M-P-L-I-A-T-U-S, uh, Amplietas. And in Rome, even to this day, it's a very well-documented name as a common slave name. So this guy, whatever his name was, was probably just a common slave, um, nobody special in the world's eyes, just a regular slave. But yet in the Lord's eyes, why don't you want to turn that cooler off there? Um, and so, but in the Lord, notice here, it's making mention. Now, again, I'd like to say that this list of names, as we're going through it, I believe is just a little snippet of the list of things we're going to see in heaven. Remember in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius there. It says that he had a monument in heaven because he was such a man of prayer and because he was such a man who had given so much financially uh, that the Lord had built a monument in heaven to him, the angel says. And I believe many of these guys are going to have monuments. I think we're going to have a Mary 
monument to all her labors as she exhausted herself in the Lord. And, and we're going to see that. It's noted. And so again, here you are, as all of us are, saying, I want to be significant. As you see these multi-millionaires or these famous movie stars, as they're getting older, what do they do? I want to build a wing onto the hospital. So what do they call it? You know, the such and such hospital, memorial hospital. But they have their name tagged on there. Why? So after they're dead, they can say, I've somehow left my mark, you know, so I'm not just another person in some graveyard, but they're going to have to say, now who is, you know, Dick Van Dyke? Who was that guy, you know? Memorial Hospital, you know, what, what is that? Who was, oh, he was back in the olden days in another century, far gone. Back in the 20th century, back in the olden days when they used to have to actually push on a gas pedal to get the car to move. Back in those days. Really? You lived back then? Yes, yes, I lived back in those days. He was a famous comedian, you see. They make their mark. So, but look at us. How do, you, how do we make our mark? We make our mark by just loving Jesus and loving the body and, and being diligent and faithful servants of God. And in heaven, on earth, our mark is insignificant. In heaven, our mark is incredibly significant, not just for now, but for all of eternity. And so here's this, this common person, but yet my beloved in the Lord is a person who just truly loved Paul. And Paul sensed their love and knew they were praying for them and knew that they encouraged them greatly in the Lord. And there we see another common name in verse 9. Urbanus, a fellow worker, Eubanus, a fellow worker in Christ. So again, it's just a very common Roman name, but he was probably a fellow pastor, a fellow worker, just a faithful pastor who was plugging away, teaching through the word on Wednesday night, uh, working his way through the book of Romans. Just a regular old guy. But yet in heaven, a monument in heaven to his faithfulness. Pastor Rowe, there it is. You're Banatus, and my name will be right there next to him. Just plugging away, teaching verse by verse through the word. And in the second part of verse 9, we see um, Stytikis, my beloved. And this is a nickname. It's actually the only time ever mentioned in history. It literally means ear of corn. <laughs> and, and so this is just a nickname they, they gave whatever this guy's real name was, growing up. He loved corn or whatever, and they started calling him corn. And, uh, but yet again, he was a very, very dear, dear friend of Paul's in the Lord. And, and of course, he's in records now from all, for thousands of years, he's been mentioned, this guy who's ear of corn, has been mentioned as a dear friend of Paul. And then in verse 10, we see, greet uh, Apelles, which is approved in Christ. Now, Paul is making mention here of this guy sort of in a way that makes it think that he didn't know him personally, but he's given note, given him honor that he's been approved. The word proved there is the word tested by fire as they would take metal and they would heat it up until it's boiling. And as it's boiling, you see, the, the dross begins to go off. The, the old bad alloys begin to fall off and they begin to scoop it until it becomes a pure metal of whatever it is. And he's saying this guy has been, go he's gone through the, the fire. So it's possible that 
This guy has actually been persecuted. Maybe he's missing an arm or he's crippled now because of it. And Paul's making note of it, saying, hey, you've been approved. You went through a very difficult time of persecution, but yet you've kept the faith. And he's sort of a hero amongst the Christians. Or it could be approved, as Paul uses the same word in 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's a guy who just knows the word inside out and just standing firm. And as the people are heretically coming against uh, the church and stuff, he's just standing right there and debating with them. Interesting, there's a, over in the church in Budapest, Hungary, there's a new believer there who got saved and just started tearing into the Bible. And some Jehovah Witnesses came to his door and, and he just went after them. And now he's led a whole practically church of Jehovah Witnesses to the Lord. And they're all now um, in the Calvary Budapest. And then some Mormons came and he just went after them. And, and now he's studying so long that now we as a church are supporting him full time. So we are supporting a full time apologist over in Hungary, who's leading all these cult people to the Lord, and he's out there on the streets preaching and, and debating with people. And, and so, you know, if I were to write a letter to Hungary, I, I would make mention of him saying he's approved in the Lord. In other words, as Paul uses that word, he's approved. How? Being a worker, rightly dividing the word of truth and, and standing firm doctrinally. We don't know, whatever it was, but this man is made mention by Paul that, hey, the heavenly records are making note that you're being faithful, you're standing in there even in the midst of testings and trials. And I don't know about you, but when I go through testings and trials, I often fail. And usually, it's when everybody's watching. You know, and you're, you're going, I'm not usually that way, I'm usually better than that. Really, honest, 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 you know. But the Lord just does it to humble you or whatever. And, and, and here this guy went through it, and everybody saw it, but it was a wonderful testimony of how he stood firm in the Lord. Boy, here's a guy, just a regular nobody, you know, a pillies, but yet now he's dear to us as we begin to take it to our heart going, yes, I also want to be as a pillies. And then we also see another guy, as it says, greet those who are of the household. So he's not greeting Aristobulus, but he's actually greeting his household, which means that this person probably is himself not saved, but greet those who are in that household, the family or slaves who are. Lightfoot, a scholar, makes mention that this guy was probably the brother of Herod Agrippa I and the grandson of Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great, the guy who had the babies two years old and under killed in Bethlehem, that guy. And tradition has it that he was also uh, possibly uh, sent out by Barnabas and Paul to Britain to be the bishop of that area of Britain that had come to Christ. And so this guy here, um, again, possibly, uh, he's a guy who had gotten saved, who became this guy who was uh, sent out by Paul and Barnabas, or he was this other guy who was the brother of Herod Agrippa I or the grandson of Herod the Great. We don't know which Aristobulus this was. But nevertheless, uh, Paul greets his household, which tells us that, um, again, there was more than one believer there in that household. And then in verse 11, greet Herodian. 
my, again, kinsman, his cousin. Now, as you look at this, Aristobulus, Herodian, and then we're going to see the next name, Narcissus, these are all people that no doubt, as it seems in history, were people who were a part of the emperor's upper echelon. And so these were wealthy people. Uh, Narcissus was known as the emperor's secretary, so the very close, intimate right-hand man of the emperor. Paul later on will write in Philippians 4.22, All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So all the saints greet you, but especially who? As he writes from Rome, those of Caesar's household. So again, we see that they were penetrating not only the commoners of Rome, as we see common names and slave names and regular Roman names, but we also see some very noted people who, again, as later he would say, those right in the inner household of Caesar that are getting saved. And then in verse 12, we see probably a couple of twin sisters, uh, Trithena and Tryphosa. Uh, their names mean, Trithena means delicate, and Tryphosa means dainty. So if you're looking for a couple of names, getting ready to have a baby, a lot of pregnant gals around here, there you go. Uh, if you have twins in particular. And uh, interesting that you got a couple of dainty and delicate twins over in the church in Serbia. There's a couple of twins that got saved right at the beginning of that church there. A couple of really beautiful gals. And, and it reminds me of them because they were very dainty and very delicate. And both of their parents were lawyers and uh, very involved in the Communist Party and, and unbelievers and and when they first got saved, it was, it was horrible because their parents wanted to send them through shock treatments and uh, to the mental institution and everything else because they believed in God. And it was just an absolute horrible, horrible thing that they had done, did this. But they made it through it, and they're just incredibly strong Christian gals, just loved the Lord. And, uh, but notice here, dainty and delicate. Notice they labored. There's that word again. It's a very particular Greek word that means they labored to weariness and exhaustion. So twins, they come out. They're often small, and, and, and often twins, as they grow up, they are weakly because they, again, uh, are small because there's two of them in there fighting for the same amount of food, you know, in the, in the stomach and all there. And, but here are these two dainty and delicate gals, but yet when it comes to the things of the Lord... There are a couple of workhorses, you know. And, and I love this because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I'll tell you what, you see time and time and time again, the church is built on the widow's might. It's not the millionaires who could spare a couple hundred thousand dollars to get the job done. They don't give anything. Rarely. But it's those people who are going, well... Do I eat lunch or do I support that missionary over there? Uh, you know, and, and it's often a sacrifice, every penny that they give. But yet, if I were to say, let's look through church history and add up the money given from those who really didn't have it to give and add up the money who had, people had freely money to give and they gave of their much and gave a bit, I'll tell you, it's always the people who didn't have much and gave. And it seems to be that same way in the church. Those who are serving, it's the same thing. It's not those people who are just, you know, 
work six hours a day and kick back all day and come and, you know, it's the people who are busy and working hard and, and diligent seem to still be the ones who give the most amount to, in their time. And I'll tell you, we've had church work days where we're out there pulling weeds and doing some pretty heavy work sometimes. And again, if you look at a lot of strong, big people who could go out there and work circles around it because they do it every day of the week. But it's often those dainty and delicate people who are, you know, going for it, working hard, laboring for the things of the Lord. And I, I would just say as an encouragement to every one of us to say, you know what, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I don't know about you, but my life, I just want to be like, you know, uh, Phoebe and Mary and and uh, these two twin gals here. Just I, before the Lord in the heavenly records, I want it to be that I labored much. I copio. I labored to exhaustion. I toiled for the things of God. Man, I, I want to be that person who just goes for it in the things of the Lord. And what an example. And we keep seeing this being pointed out over and over again to us. And it seems to be pointed out with these gals, as Paul is keeps pointing out, saying um, people who you wouldn't think particularly could do much, especially in the culture of that day. Women were very suppressed were the ones who were doing the most. And so I just encourage you to take inventory of your own life and to say, hey, what am I doing for, this, for the cause of Christ? What am I doing? Am, am, am I making myself an exception to teaching Sunday school? But I really, you know, I'm giving myself an excuse. I know when I spoke at the singles, different groups and retreats and stuff that I spoke at, it seems like the singles, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And it's just like, it's a joke. <laughs> Believe me, you get married, have four kids, that's busy. Okay, but being single, you know, and saying you're busy because you're waxing your car for four hours, and you know, it's not being busy. You're not busy. Okay, you're, you're distracted because you have so much free time, you don't know what to do with yourself. And we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that it says those who are single can 100% give themselves to the Lord. I had a dear gal come up Sunday morning and, and she just said, you know what, I don't know if this would work, but God's put in my heart to babysit people uh, who need to go out like on a Friday night but they can't really afford a babysitter. Do you think anybody could use something like that? And uh, Ned's raising his hand back there, yeah. I'm just like going, it's amazing you see that. I mean, here she is, a young single gal. It's like, amazing you see that. And it's like, I'm willing to give up my Friday nights, she said, to, to, to bless somebody in the body. And, and I want to do it every weekend. And it's just like, yes, that's, that's the heart. That's, that's the heart that needs to be there. Again, I think a lot of singles are missing the opportunity. If you're single here, serve the Lord. Work, pay your bills, and work for the Lord. Go down to the orphanage. Teach Sunday school. Go to a Bible study every night of the week. Go to the convalescent home after church on Sunday. Go. You'll never be disappointed. This is a window of opportunity you'll never get again. And I'll tell you, the single people out here, the Marys and the Phoebes out here, let me tell you, 
you need to go for it with the kids in particular because that's where you're going to learn to be a parent. That's how you're going to learn patience. That's how your character is going to be changed. I've had more than one occasion where guys have come up and said, oh, I can't work with kids. They make me uncomfortable. And I said, the world's warped you. Jesus loved little kids. They came and jumped on his lap and he just had a great time with them. If you don't like little kids, you don't feel comfortable on kids, you are messed up. I don't want you in any ministry in this church until you're not so twisted. You can only work in the kids' ministry, and that's, and I, and I mean it. <laughs> I mean it, and that's where they go. Twice I've had guys fight me. I mean, I've had a lot of guys mention it, and they sort of submit and go along with it. But I have, twice I've had two guys fight me on it. The one guy has been for the last eight years running the children's ministry back in Pennsylvania. Good friend of mine, Kevin. And the other one actually came on staff as our children's minister, went to school to become a school teacher, and that's what he's doing now. You just see where Satan, that was their calling was kids. That's what they do for their life's work. That's their, their ministry. But you see how Satan had got in there trying to, you know, make good evil and evil good. And some of you single people here, I'm telling you that you, you've got this mental block, you know, that if you could break it out and just see it, you can go for it in the Lord. You can just go for it. And you can become so instrumental in, in the things that, well, you know, I feel uncomfortable going down to Mexico and, and the orphanage. I, I just, I, it's really, it's probably where you need to be. It's probably where you're going to meet your husband or your wife. And Satan knows it, you see. That's where, you're, that's where God's calling you. Well, you know, going in the convalescent home, those old people and stuff, you know, it's sort of boring and I don't really, you're messed up. There's something wrong there. You should just have joy to go in there and just hold those hands and love those people. And, and so I'm telling you guys, go for it, go for it, go for it. Shut the TV off, forget the movies, forget about the latest car. Pay off whatever piece of metal you have. If you've got a futon to lay on, sleep on it. If not, sleep on the floor and just serve the Lord. Give, give financially with your time, with your energy. Have a vision that while I'm in this parenthesis of time as a single person, I'm going to burn out for the Lord. And I'll tell you, you'll look back and that'll be some of the most precious time in your life. And I've telling my kids that, helping them grow up in that way so they can see that insight. And that's what I think I, we see here in the, in the Phoebes and the Marys and, and these couple of twins and, and, and then the other brothers that are mentioned as well. And those of you who are married, I say to you, while you have kids, invest your time in the kids. I've probably have gotten enough speaking engagements this last year to have been gone probably half of the year. But I only took one this last year as far as a retreat, doing a week-long retreat, because I wanted to be with my family. And I love being with you guys. I, why go somewhere else where I'm <laughs> already having a great time here? A lot of pastors travel around, and it's because they really don't like their church. And I, I don't want to travel around because I love my church. But I also know when that last kid is out the door, I know me and Cheryl are going to look at each other going, all right, let's get back to ministry the way we love to do it. 
And some of you whose kids are out the doors, I encourage you, get back into it. Go for it. Do whatever it is. Get the car paid off. Sell the house. Rent an apartment. Whatever. Go back ministering for the Lord. Burn out for the things of God. Give and give and give towards the things of God. Serve and serve the people of God. You know, that's why we're here. To love the Lord, to serve his people. And this is who we see are mentioned in this list. People who are going for it and, well, I don't really fit the bill. Well, neither did dainty and delicate. But they, God gave them the ability to fit the bill. God gave them the ability to become something they weren't as they became great people in the things of God. So struggle with that. Struggle over that issue. You know, I, I, I think it's important to realize that my job as a pastor is definitely to comfort, but also to exhort and rebuke with all long-suffering and patience. In the church, we need to realize when we hear a word like that that is stretching, ah, shut up, Brian, next verse, you know. I don't want to think about it anymore. Don't get mad at me. Don't go and talk to your friend going, that's ridiculous. Take it to prayer. Struggle over it. Often I've had people tell me, well, this is what you ought to do. And I'm going, no way. And there as I sought the Lord on it, God's saying, do it. And that has been some of the hardest things in my life. But it's been some of the things that have changed my life the most. Sometimes it was going to talk to somebody that offended me or I offended them. Sometimes it was rebuking somebody I'd rather just not even talk to and not have to deal with the situation. But yet... It's clear in the word, I've got to deal with the situation. And I'm saying to some of you guys and, and, and gals, and some of you are out there going, man, I'm not going to give up playing softball five nights a week. You're nuts, you know. And I'm not going to, you know, give my money away. I'm getting my retirement set up, you know. And I'm, you know, don't try to change my lifestyle or my finances or the way I'm living. Don't. And I, I'm saying to you, you know what? Just take it to the Lord. Go search out the scriptures. Be a Berean. See if what I'm saying, if these things are not so. Okay? See if they're not so. There's so much that can be done for the cause of Christ. It's incredible, incredible, incredible. And people come and say, well, is there anything that you see possible to do? I could have a thousand people ask me that this question this week, and every single one of them would have something to do by the end of this week. There's that much to do in the ministry, even in a church this size. It's phenomenal how many people are doing the work of 10 men when there should be 10 men doing the work. There's people tonight that are down there with the kids that were also with the kids last Sunday morning that are also helping out on Monday nights, that are also, and on and on it goes. It's not, it's not needful. But besides that, I mean, they're... They're going to be some of the richest people in heaven, and they're still in some blessings. But at the same time, that we would grow in our mentality and say, hold it, hold it. You know what? Whatever the ministry it is, I'm just using the kids' ministry as an example, but whatever that ministry is, Lord, help me to see how I can burn out. I want to be like a star. When I'm on my deathbed, I want to be like a star. And when you're looking at my deathbed, you see a star that's been burned out. You know what I mean? It's just, I disintegrated, just serving the Lord I've given, served, loved, done all that God has had me to do. I have finished the course, and now I'm ready to die. 
Well, finishing up here tonight. There's also the beloved Persis. Now, this name Persis, interesting, is considered to be a woman's name who also labored much in the Lord. I won't go into that again, okay? But if you look back up in verse 8 and 9, it says, my beloved, my beloved, as he mentions a couple of guys, but now he comes to Persis, this gal, and he just says, beloved, not my beloved. I wonder if it wasn't because he didn't want to send the wrong message. You know, as Persis is reading this going, oh, Paul does feel the same way towards me, towards him. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, he was just being nice. But again, it's, I, I think we've got to be careful. I think we've got to be careful and to realize that we don't want to say things or do things that would give people the wrong impression. And then also we see here, greet Rufus, which means red. So, old red. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now this is interesting because in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, Mark, who, by the way, spent time in Rome, most believe that he wrote the Gospel of Mark from Rome, and most believe that the Gospel of Mark is written to the Roman mind, the Gentile mind. If you read it, I really believe that to be the case. So Mark became, John Mark, Barnabas's nephew, who Paul sent away from his missionary journey because he was grieving him so much, eventually became a disciple of Peter and wrote the Gospel of Mark from Rome in the Roman church. And he doesn't mention Simon the Cyrene. Remember when Jesus is carrying that horizontal part, that patabulum of the cross, and he can't go any farther as he makes it up, as we're going to see in October. He makes it up the Via Della Rosa. It's a rather steep walk. And the time he gets to the outer wall, he just is exhausted. He can't go. He just passes out, basically. And the Roman soldier grabs a volunteer. And who does he grab? A black guy. Simon the Cyrene. And he grabs this guy and he says, you carry it. And so here is this guy carrying it for Jesus. That just blows my mind when I think about that. How he literally not only took up his cross and followed Jesus, he took up the cross and followed Jesus. Now, most believe that he became a believer. And not only did he become a believer, but he ended up becoming a bishop in the church later on. But not only that, but, he, but Mark mentions both of his sons, Rufus and Alexander. And Rufus is this chosen one. In other words, he was the guy whose dad got to carry the cross and everybody knows him. He's a celebrity, you see. Rufus, and he says his mother and mine. Now, to make further note of this, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, there's a guy by the name of Simon, it says, of Niger, which again is the same Cyrene area. So most believe that when the teachers and the and that says the prophets got together to pray together and minister unto the Lord in Acts 13, that this Simon, Cyrene, Simon, Niger, Simon, the guy who carried the cross, was there, who was prophesying, and he was one of them who said, go out. And they sent Paul and Barnabas out to do the ministry. Further, Paul says here, his mother and mine. Tradition has it also that before they moved to Rome, that 
they were in Antioch with Paul. And they became some of the elders, the teachers there in Antioch. That Simon Niger was there in Antioch. That's where they were praying before they sent Paul out. And that he, Paul, actually lived with them. He actually lived with Simon and his wife and Rufus and Alexander. And this is why he says, my mom, that great cooking, that great hospitality, that great gal who I adopted. Paul, no doubt, as most Jews who got saved, lost their family. And Paul probably lost his mother and dad as they said, you're a Christian, get away, I never want to see you again. And they turned his back. You know what? We do lose when we come to Christ some things of this world. But I'll tell you what we gain in Christ a million times more. And Paul may have lost one mother, but I bet he gained ten. And here this Simon Cyrene, his wife, Rufus's mother, became his mother. You know, I do think as we see God divinely pulling everything together, it was no coincidence that a black guy was picked out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus. I don't think it's insignificant because I think the Lord is making note that they were there. And, and of course, in Palestine at that time, as today, there's many black people that were there. I, I love that, that last movie on Jesus I saw. Every time Jesus was speaking, there was a number of black people in the audience. And I thought, that's right, they got it. Of course, the Jewish people back during the time of Jesus looked more oriental. And so the Jews had much more of an oriental look, but then after sort of migrating to Europe, <laughs> a large group of the, the Jews became oriental looking. But now an interesting thing's happened because, uh, as I've mentioned before, there was a large population of thousands, tens of thousands, of black Jews in Ethiopia. They were completely ostracized by the country. They were being killed by the country. The Jewish council, when they heard of the Holocaust going on there in Ethiopia of these Jewish black people, sent a council over, talked to them, and they were keeping the law right to the letter. They was believed a couple different things. Most believed, though, that it was actually one of the gals, possibly the Queen of Sheba herself, who went back, who had a baby of King Solomon, is what many believe. Because when you see these black people, and we're going to go over to Israel see them, they're beautiful people. They all look like princes. They all look like princesses. Just their demeanor about them looks like royalty. Remember back in the Old Testament when uh, they asked Gideon about a certain king, and they said, oh yeah, they look all like you. They look like kings. They said that to Gideon. They all had that look of kingly look like you do. These people have a kingly look about them. Well, they got them and they brought them over and they gutted out these 747s and got thousands of them over into Israel. And of course, now what's happening, many of those Ethiopian Jews are marrying some of those European-looking Jews. And so now you're getting sort of not... Uh, the Ethiopian Jews are, have a very, very dark, they're very black people, a very uh, black uh, pigmentation of their skin. But now they're marrying these uh, European Jews, and so now you're getting all kinds of variations. And of course, we bought this property from a Jewish-only speaking, uh, or, or a Spanish-only speaking church. They're down the road now. And they're a bunch of Jews that look like Mexicans from Mexico. As a matter of fact, most of them come over from Mexico. 
So I, I just think it's radically interesting when you got these Jews were a Jew. But you look at them, you got Mexicans, you got blacks, you got almost every looking, kind of looking race there is, but yet they're proud. And I just love it because in Christ, what happened? That wall of division was broken down. And here we see Paul saying, oh yeah, her, his mother, and mine. And I love it. Uh, Wes uh, Anderson, I assistant here, as you all know him, his sister married a black guy. And a couple of weeks ago, um, his little daughter was here, and, and uh, Sean, who's here, he's, I don't see him here tonight, but um, anyway, uh, a black brother in our church, she just walked over and looked up and just sort of like, pick me up, you know, and he picked her up and was holding her, and, and she was just looking at him, you know. And I, and I said to her, does he remind you of your Uncle Tyrone? She's like, and then she hugs him, gives him a big giant hug, you know. And I, I just love that. In Christ, all the walls are broken down. And here Paul is just saying, yeah, his mother and mine. And uh, I just, again, see how the Lord intricately is constantly working out the things in the scriptures. Well, one last insight, and we'll close here tonight. In verse 14 is a group of guys who are probably living in one house who were fellowshipping together, and he gives a list of the whole guys in this one particular house living together. And then in verse 15, the same type of thing, but he mentions the guy by the name of Phi, look at Philo Logos. Philo Logos. What's the word Philo mean? Love. What's Logos mean? The word. The lover of the word. I love it. Now, tradition has it that he was one of the first 70 that Jesus chose, one of the chosen disciples. But he was a man who was lover of the word. So again, here's another great name for your kid. <laughs> lover of the word. And there's a list of uh, other names. And, and he lets them know in Rome that all the saints who are with him, uh, greetings, and then greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, underline the word holy. Now, in most of the cultures of the world, that for some reason, we don't do it here. And you know what? It's, it's sort of a, a bad thing we don't do it here. Because in most cultures, they know there's lots of germs on hands. And so the shaking of the hand thing is just passing major amounts of germs, you know? You might as well sneeze in each other's hands. There's just tons of germs. And so in most cultures, what they do is they lean and they sort of touch cheeks and usually they don't all the way touch, okay? Uh, unless, you know, and the better you know somebody, the closer you touch, you know? Uh, interesting, in um, Yugoslavia, you do it three times. One, two, three. And then in Hungary, you just do it twice, which is on a bordering country right next to you. You only do it twice. And uh, so it's always interesting. You've got to remember which country you're in. And then, and then, of course, the Americans go over, and they're not, they're sort of, you know, boom, you know, <laughs> knock the, hit the guy in the head, and it's like, you know. So they're, they're not in the flow. But, you know, when you do it all the time, it's just sort of a sixth sense. You know which way they're leaning and which way you're leaning, and, 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 it, and it just sort of works. 
That's, that's what they're talking about, okay? The holy kiss. Um, and that's as far as it goes. And, and uh, it is a, I think it is a superior way to greet people. Uh, again, it's cuts down on germs. And uh, I think it is a little more uh, intimate in a, in a holy way. And then it says, the churches of Christ greet you. And so they're letting them know in Rome, hey, you may be way out there and you feel like you're all alone. You're the only Christians in the whole world. But let me tell you, you're linked. And all the other churches that are around the world, we're all linked together. And I'm letting you know, we love you. And what is Paul doing by making this greeting? Number one, I think he's, letting, I think he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, letting us know, hey, God is paying attention. God knows your labors. He knows your diligence. He knows that you're approved or disapproved. He knows what we're doing in secret. God, as the Bible says, is going to shout it from the rooftops. God knows what you're doing in secret. Many of you are faithfully seeking the Lord. Many of you are servants under Christ where nobody knows. And I'm telling you, it's going to be shouted on the day in heaven. God is making note. And to encourage us to look at other men's good works and to say to us, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I a Phoebe? Am I whoever you're approved of in the Lord? Am I as I should be? Lord, thank you again for your word. And Lord, look upon us, Lord, as we've gone line by line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, to discover what your word says. Encourage us as we think on these things. Cause us, as Titus says, to be a people zealous unto good works. Serving, living, giving, being the people that you desire us to be. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done in Jesus' precious name. We thank you. Everybody said? God bless you guys.